morning. In our first spiritual discipline sermon on generosity, we see that the Lord has been generous with the heat for the last two days, so we're thankful that He is a shining example for us to follow. I think we also made a tactical mistake. This is not going to be a sermon on like giving to the church. That'll be a part of this. But we did make a tactical mistake by having the offering before the sermon. Because I felt, second offering after the sermon. I feel, like, uh, I feel like we might have better results after it's over. Today we're going to introduce our summer series. Or not introduce, but we'll be in our first um, discipline of our summer series. Disciplines of Grace. And we're going to talk about generosity. Um, I chose Acts 42 through 37 um, because I think it's a raw example of what God wants to do with his people when the spirit of God lives in their lives. Uh, So I hope that this is as good for you as it has been for me studying it. And I hope that the Lord uses this to encourage you to be a person uh, uh, who is marked as a generous person person who's marked by generosity. Would you pray with me before we start this morning? Father God, you are the perfect example of generosity. In that while we were yet sinners and undeserving, you sent your son to die for us. Is there a more generous gift than a father giving his son? Is there a greater or more generous love? Is there a greater or more generous sacrifice? But not only that, Lord, you meet us with mercies that are new every morning. You give us out of the richness of your grace and kindness and love, friendship. You make us co-heirs in the kingdom. Lord, as we begin this summer sermon series on the disciplines of our spiritual life, would you help us to understand that each of these disciplines is not just a discipline of grace, but it is a spiritual discipline. We have no hope of enduring in these disciplines unless the Spirit of God lives in us. And unless we draw upon that power, we cannot be successful in being generous, in Scripture, in prayer, in whatever it may be. Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would change us, would form us into a person who is marked by the generosity of Christ. That not only we may show the world that great generosity, but we may... Preach the gospel of Jesus to the church, to our local body, through our generosity. Through our loving kindness to each other. Lord, help it to be known of this church, in this community, and amongst each other, that we are a generous people. We trust you, we rely on you, and we hope that you can do this work and will do this work in us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our first discipline of grace, generosity. 
as much as any other of the major gifts and more than many others, I believe generosity is a top tier Christian work. In the most natural expression of the Holy Spirit, the church, when they were organizing, when they were trying to figure things out, they were marked by generosity. Not only in Acts 4 we see this, we see this in Acts 2, but we also see it as a mark in many other of the text of scriptures. The Holy Spirit came into their life and before budgets, before buildings, before plans or or before organizations that sent missionaries, they gave of what they had. They considered their possessions not their own. And I will say this again, but over time you need to see Possessions means money, time, effort, energy. We're not just talking about things here. We're not just talking about money here. Assets. Before rules were made, before suggestions were made on giving, they were generous. As Christians, we are not only commanded to be generous people, generous people we are called to let it mark our life. I want to tell you, the happiest people I've ever known are the most generous people. And I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg type thing, but the most happy people I've ever known are the most generous people. And they're not poor necessarily. They're not always wealthy either. But they're generous. They look at their possessions as not their own. Because they know that being a Christian means their life is not their own. Not only are they generous because they see a need and they meet it. They're generous because along the way, the Holy Spirit has allowed them to see their life as a spirit, in a spirit of generosity. That's the framework they live their life in. You can say a lot about Baptists. There are a lot about the, there's a lot that I don't dis, that I don't agree with in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is typically who we identify with. But I will tell you, they're the most generous organization that I've ever known. When COVID first struck, there were Southern Baptist hospitals in some of the hotbeds of Southern Baptist pop-up hospitals in some of the most hotbeds, uh, hotbed areas of COVID. When there's a tornado or a hurricane, when there's an earthquake, a natural disaster, Southern Baptist people send their men and their women to set up stations to help these areas, the areas most affected. You can say a lot about the Southern Baptist Convention, but they're a convention marked by generosity. Generosity is a mark of a true believer because it is a spiritual discipline. It is something that only the Spirit of God can give. Now, there are people who are not Christians that are generous, but they are not generous in the same way that Christians are. Generosity comes, I believe, in many forms, but 
And it isn't just about money and resources. It isn't just about wealth. But generosity is a spiritual gift from the Spirit of God. But it's also a discipline. It must be practiced. It must be worked on. There must be effort put in. It's a calling of all Christians. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver not because of the gifts he brings or because his offering is great or small. God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver is a shining example of growing in Christ, which he has called us to do. I want us today to focus on this verse in Acts, or these verses in Acts, and look at a profile of Barnabas. Now, he's just a small example in, this, in, this, in these verses. He's mentioned in verses 36 and 37 of what Katie read this morning. But Barnabas is an example of cheerful giving. And I want to look at the profile of Barnabas just briefly, and then I want to give you some practical ways that you can be a person who is marked by generosity. Barnabas, I believe, is a model of generosity. Look at verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Just a little bit of information about Barnabas. Barnabas was a missionary throughout Judea and Asia Minor after his conversion, spending much of his time with the apostle Paul. Acts 4 says he was a Levite, which means he was born into this order, this priestly order. Now, he wasn't a priest, but he was what people believe is he was a part of this musical class. So he would have helped the, he would have helped the priest. He would have assisted in the worship. Barnabas, tra- he, was, he would have been trained. He would have known the scriptures. He would have learned to read. He would have been educated. And he would have been wealthy. He would have dedicated his entire life to the holy services with a plan as he got older to be in the ministry, quote unquote. And here we find when the Holy Spirit grabs your life through salvation in Jesus Christ, your life sometimes gets turned upside down. Where Barnabas could have held on to and relied on his wealth, Christ took a hold. And Barnabas took this field that had probably been passed down. Or, you know, I don't know if you remember the way the Levite structure was. The Levites received the tithes and the offerings. So the Levites were the ones receiving the offering. And Barnabas was sort of set up to be, um, to be bankrolled for the rest of his life. And instead, he, through the Spirit of God, through the Spirit of generosity, he sold a field that belonged to him and he gave money he gave the money the proceeds to the disciples to be given to be distributed to the body as needs were found in acts 11 it says he ministered in antioch acts 13 says he ministered with paul acts 15 says he defended the gentile converts who 
um, against the Judaizers who were trying to get them to be like Jews, but they were Christians. He defended them who were trying to get who were uh, trying who were being forced basically to follow the old ways. In Acts 11, he is identified with, and it's no surprise he is identified as, and it's no surprise here, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now we don't know a tremendous uh, a tremendous amount about Barnabas. We don't know as much about Barnabas as we know about Paul or some others. But we know enough to know that Barnabas is a life that we want to follow. He is a model for generosity. Here's what we know about Barnabas from the Bible. He gave of his resources. We just saw that. He was a Levite. He, he would have been schooled. He would have been rich. He would have been set up as a helper to the priest. He, was, he had no reason to leave this life of ease and really luxury but Christ when Christ stepped in he gave up his own resources he donated his money he donated the field he donated the resources or the money from that field and also we find out that the rest of his life was spent in spiritual service not only was Barnabas a lead in the church but he was a lead by example this is why I have it in my mind that now pastors and pastoral staff don't always make the most money. But percentage wise, pastors and pastoral staff should be leading in giving to the church. Because as Barnabas was a leader physically, he also needed to put his money where his mouth was. He led by example with his resources. When the Holy Spirit took over his life, it led Barnabas. Now, I'm sure Barnabas had some good home training. I'm sure Barnabas knew how to be generous. But when the Holy Spirit took over his life, he, had, he was uber generous. He was over generous. He was generosity in overdrive. He gave of his resources. He gave of his time and energy. Barnabas literally left his lifelong dream. It was like it would be like Tiger Woods before he ever played a professional golf round stopping all of his training and all of that and going and working in a, a a homeless shelter for the rest of his life. I mean, I guess being a Christian is not exactly like working in a homeless shelter for the, I'm sure there there are a lot of rewards for being a Christian. But it would be like someone who had trained their entire life to do something spectacular. Something they were, how many of you heard this? I just want to do something I'm passionate about. Something I enjoy. He was set up to do something he was passionate about and something he enjoyed. And he gave it up for the service of Christ. He gave of his time and energy. When Christ took hold, he served Christ in the way that Christ had prescribed for his life. He went on missionary journeys with Paul. He led both Jews and Gentiles to the faith. And the most sacrificial thing that I think Barnabas did... Now listen, you have to understand. Well, let me, let me tell you what he did and then I'll, explore, I'll give you a little background. Barnabas, just after giving up his Jewish life, giving up everything, Barnabas is the first one who steps in for Paul. 
as Paul is Saul. Now remember, Paul is a persecutor of Christians. Paul is at the, Paul is at the, uh, Stephen is at the feet of Paul when he is dying. And Barnabas is the first one to step up for Paul and, and, and take Paul along with him and introduce him to the other disciples of Jesus, the other followers of Jesus, and say, this is what Paul is doing. He is the first person to step in as an advocate for Paul. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that's neat. That's cool. But it's a lot more than that. Here's what Barnabas had risked. When Barnabas gave up his Jewish life, he gave up his finances, he gave up his family and his friends, assuming that they were not converts. He gave up everything. He was an outcast. Many times in the Jewish life, they would have had a funeral for him. Because they were dead, he was dead to his family. And just after that, this body of believers that he has been clinging to for this short time, he sticks his neck out for a former persecutor, the only group he's ever known, he sticks his neck out to risk his only good, his only association with people, his only association with a family now for the Apostle Paul. He risks it for him. Barnabas was someone who gave up of his time and energy. It took a lot of energy. It took a lot of effort. It took a lot of mental strength to step up for Paul. But he did. And the rest, as far as Paul goes, is history. Paul is the one that sort of got the... We know about Paul, right? But when the Greeks compared... When the Greeks... Uh, gave a name for Paul and Barnabas. They, they called Barnabas Zeus. They looked at Barnabas and they saw Barnabas as the leader. They saw Barnabas as the man in charge. Barnabas was rewarded for his generosity. Barnabas was rewarded for his sacrifice. He gave his time and energy. He gave his life. Now, no one knows exactly how Barnabas died, but Barnabas died a martyr's death. There are two schools of thought. He was drug out and stoned. Or there's another thought that he was, a rope was tied around his neck. They dragged him out of the city and burned him alive. Those are the two schools of thought on Barnabas' death. And no one, this is, those are church his, historical things. No one actually knows for sure how he died. Um, choose one though. Like choose which one you want, right? Does it matter? Um, he gave his life. It was the ultimate sacrifice. Friends, Barnabas proves that generosity comes in more than just giving of resources. Giving of money. As a matter of fact, you need to hear this. I, it's important, it's an important reminder to our church, to our, to the partners of our church, the members of our church, that we need to give, because we need to support our church. But you won't hear me preaching on it a lot, because the base level of a generous person is giving to the ministry of the church. It is the base level. Like, if you give in the tithes and offerings, like, good job. That's basic. The generous person, the, the, the person who is marked by generosity, who, have a, who has a spirit of generosity, their life is marked by giving. More than just money, 
more than just resources, but time and energy. Maturity and generosity is when we're willing to give of ourselves. It's easy to give to somebody, right? I mean, my goodness, just look at whatever social media calls you want to look at over the last 10 years. It's easy to post something on Facebook and say, I'm with so-and-so, or whatever it may be. You can, anyone can easily be an advocate for something. It's easy to PayPal 5 or 10 or 20 or $100 here and there. Or to be a part of a GoFundMe. It costs no mental and emotional effort to put a, a $5 bill or a $20 bill in the offering. A person who is marked by generosity is a person whose life demonstrates such. And Barnabas proves that. It's why at the beginning of Barnabas' life, we hear about him giving resources. And at the end of Barnabas' life, we hear about him just giving it. Giving his life. So hand clap if you can put a $5 bill in an offering or you can be a part of a GoFundMe. Because that's a part of being generous. But a spirit of generosity is so much more than that. So what are they? How do we, how do we, how do we become generous? How are we marked by generosity? I think Barnabas leads by example here. And I think what we know of other believers and what we know of people even in our own body can lead by example. But I want to give you some marks of generosity so you can take these home and chew on those a little bit. One mark of generosity for you and for me is that you understand generosity is a calling. For the most generous people you and I know, it is modeled, right? They lived with someone who was also generous. They followed or knew or someone they looked up to was generous. For some people, that might make it come more naturally. But for the rest of us and really all people, generosity is a discipline like any other. So we, in order to, in order to um, thrive in this spiritual discipline, in order to produce a greater strength in this spiritual discipline, we must see generosity as a calling. So how do you do that? How do you see generosity as a calling? Generous people who see generosity as a calling are never surprised by moments or opportunities to be generous because they plan to be generous. If you see generosity as a calling, you plan to be generous. Generosity as a calling, people who are generous don't ever look back at an opportunity and say, oh man, I could have done this right there. Or I miss an opportunity to do this or that. People who see generosity as a calling plan to be generous. <coughs> if, if basic Christianity is giving to the offering, then generous living is giving our lives. People who see generosity as a calling, they intentionally carve out time for others. They intentionally carve out time for others. They intentionally carve out time for special causes. And along with that, they make a plan to give. I've said this before to you, 
But the reason often we can't be generous is not because we don't have the money to be generous. It's because we've already allocated our money elsewhere. We've already the reason we don't have time to do something in our church or with our church family or with others or with some organization is because not because we don't have the actual time to do it. It's because we've already allocated our time elsewhere. And so when I say it takes sacrifice, what I mean is not this unattainable a thing that might happen someday to us. What I mean is, right now, it takes us giving up something in order to be something else, right? We have to give up some time somewhere else in order to be generous with our time to good causes. We have to give up our money somewhere else in order to be generous with our money to good causes. Friends, what you need to know, though, you look at this as a mountain, and it's really just really small. All you have to do is start with five minutes here and there. All you have to, you know, you've, you've seen anytime someone's like trying to get you to get, give you their money, they're like, you know what? You go to Starbucks every day of the week. All you have to do is cut out one coffee and you'll have enough money to do this or that. It, honestly, that's effective because it's true. It only takes just a little bit of change to make a massive impact. And most of us are waiting until we can do something massive. So we're waiting till the big money comes. Or we're waiting till we have more time to be more generous. Whereas if we just carve out just a little bit of our time, a little bit of our effort, a little bit of our energy, a little bit of our resources, what we will find is we have a massive amount of ability to help. Because after all, 10 to 30 minutes with somebody who's in need is better than zero and hoping for an hour down the road. Right? $20 now to someone who's in need is better than zero and hoping for a thousand down the road. Friends, I want to tell you, when my wife and I started getting better about our budgeting, our financial budgeting, it was when I started looking at like, this is not spiritual. This is just how we did a little bit better. I started looking at all the little 5 and $10 things on our account, and I was like, oh my gosh, we don't use this. This is $5. And this was when this money was a lot more money at the time, but we ended up cutting out like $150 a month by cutting out $5 and $10 expenses. And honestly, I would like to say I was more generous with that money. I was just trying to be better financially at that point. But the point overall is that I, cut, I started making little changes, these little incremental changes that made me, now I believe, have the ability to be a more generous person. People who understand generosity as a calling, they have a constant and consistent plan to be generous. Another thing about people who see generosity as a calling is they set aside resources to be generous. First you plan, and then once it's there, you set it aside. Um, I'll probably say this again, but... One of the things that I do, and, I, and again, I'm not looking at this. This is just an example. I don't need you to, to think, oh, wow. This is, remember, the base example of generosity is giving money. But one of the things I do with the money that I receive is I immediately pull it out in order to be generous. 
I never let it sit in the account. I never let it wait. I never say, I'll do this later. Now, that might not work for everybody. Some people's pay structure fluctuates and different stuff like that. But whenever I get a check, I always either give immediately or I pull money out to set it aside to be generous. You have to make a plan to be generous. Then you have to set it aside. I think you have to pray to be generous. If you want to see generosity as a calling, you have to pray to be generous. Then I believe we begin to look at every opportunity as an opportunity for generosity. It could mean money. It could mean time and resources. um, Or it could just mean connecting somebody with the right person. How many times does it take, have you, I've seen this more in in the company I'm with, but there's a need over here and you know the answer to that need and it takes you a half an hour or it takes you a day or two, but you're able to connect those two people together. Often just connecting people to the right people is a way of being generous. But we have to see generosity as a calling. We can't just see it as something we do. We have to see it as something we are because of the Spirit of God. Uh, another another um, mark of generosity, you spend most of your giving. Listen, now I, I told you we're going to talk about it a little bit, but you spend most of your giving to the church and to those who are in your sphere of influence. Uh, here's how my family gives. We try to give 10% of our net income to the church. Okay? Net income. So uh, whether it's pre-tax or post-tax or whatever, that's up to you. That's not the biggest part of it. The biggest part of it is that you make a plan to give to your local church, Um, which, to be truthful, the local church pays the salaries of our teachers, of our preachers, of our leaders, of our elders, but also it pays for missionaries in the United States and often abroad. It pays for organi- it goes to organizations within our community that help uh, pre- uh, crisis pregnancies or that help poor and needy individuals and families. And then after we give, as a part of that, we give to local causes and to individuals. Stewardship in my mind, generosity in my mind, is best displayed uh, when there's a level of trust that is developed. Now, I'm not, I'm not, when, I, when I say this to you, I'm not trying to change your mind about how you do this, but you just need to hear me and how I do it. I do not give to people on the corner of Get Well and uh, 55 or 240. I don't give to those people. I don't give to people who say, uh, you know, homeless, blah, blah, blah. I don't give to those people. Uh, and I have a good reason for that. Now, if, if what I'm going to say is a problem for you and you want to give to those people, but you also want a better solution, start buying McDonald's gift cards. There's a McDonald's, right? It, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Get well in 240, right? You, there's somebody there all the time. There's a McDonald's right on that corner. Buy a McDonald's gift card and give them that. Here's why I don't give to those people. Here's why I don't give to people who are... Begging in general. Because I only have so many resources that I can give. And if I give to someone else, again, it's up to, it's up to the Lord and what they do with their, with I, with the, to the person I give. But if I give to someone who is going to 
abuse that system. And what we found is, is those panhandlers abuse the system. They're getting it a lot, and oftentimes they're getting in Cadillac Escalades and driving to their house that might be better than yours and mine. If I give to that person, not only am I giving to that person, but I'm taking away from future opportunities to give. I only have a cup large enough to give to a certain amount or a certain number of people. So my thought is, would I rather give to Blake if Blake falls on hard times, where I know that this is a man of God and I know that this money is going to be used to support a family, or would I rather give to somebody who is going to drive off in an Escalade and is just getting tax-free money, making $100 an hour <laughs> panhandling? I only have so much to give. We only have so many resources. This is why we need to be choosy. We don't need to get behind every cause. And there also needs to be a line of succession in the way we give. So I give to the church first. And then I give to individuals. And I give to organizations after that. I think, most, I think in order to be a generous person in the most effective way, we give to that way. We give to our church. And then we give to people in our sphere of influence, those people that are around us, those people we know, or at least secondhand know, who have fallen on hard times or whatever it may be. We give sacrificially and we give cheerfully. We give sacrificially and we give cheerfully. Now this is one you have heard, for, heard before, um, but giving should cost us something. It should cost us something. It should cost us money. It should cost us time. It should cost us energy. It should cost us emotional power. Whatever it may be, it should cost us something. And when we do that, as often as we can, we should not give begrudgingly. Now I want to tell you, there have been times where I've given my effort and my resources to the church, even this church, and I have done it begrudgingly. Uh, no one is going to be perfect in that because we're all humans. But as best as we can, if we want to be marked and modeled as a generous person, we need to give in a spirit that is willing to give to the Lord. And a, and a spirit that is giving as unto the Lord, as if, we're off, as if we're dropping these offerings at the feet of Jesus and not just giving it to some random person. I think you need to give secretly as often as you can and consistently. Secretly and consistently. Secretly because the Bible as a model of humility in giving says, if you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, you're giving sort of blindly. You know, you're not giving like the Pharisees would. You know, you're not, you're not having the tambourines and the drums and you're not having a, a parade that, that marches you down the aisle to the, to the offering. You know, I've seen videos online of churches who have dances down to the aisle to drop their offering in the plate. It's all about that person at that point. Secretly is the, is the best because secretly marks a person who is humble. Listen. If you do something for someone, if you go out of your way for someone, if you, if you exert emotional and spiritual and whatever energy on someone in need, listen, 
You don't have to tell other people. Your Father who is in heaven, who knows what is done in secret, knows. And He will reward you for that. Now I say this, and I don't know if it exactly happens like this, but I believe that if we need everybody to know what we're doing on earth, that we're getting our blessing right now. If we're rewarded, if we are appraised, now listen, I don't, don't act weird if someone praises you, right? One of the hardest things for me preaching uh, early on was when someone said, that was a good sermon. And I'd be like, oh, it's Jesus, not me. And I would do something really awkward. I'm not like, I'm, I'm not unintentionally awkward. If I'm awkward, it's on purpose, right? So I'm not unintentionally awkward, but I would be unintentionally awkward in that situation. And what I, what I found is it's okay when someone praises you to say thank you. It's okay when someone praises you not to say something weird that makes them feel weird about saying something nice to you. Okay? But we're not people who seek those things out. We're not people who long to be praised in everything that we do. Friends, if you need a pat on the back all the time, you're not doing things for the right reasons. Listen, you can see it. On social media, there's videos of these people and they're like, the, the, the tagline, you know, what is, I don't even know what it's called anymore. I'm, my old brain doesn't even remember what, what's it called when you try to hook somebody in with a video or like the, the tagline or the thumbnail? It's clickbait, right? Yeah, okay, see, I'm not, I'm not, I'm too old. So the clickbait is, gave a homeless man my shoes or gave a homeless man $100. Like, all right, turn that camera off and don't get paid for this video and see what you're doing. If you need a pat on the back all the time, friends, uh, you'll have your reward. But it won't be in heaven. Your Father, who is in secret, who knows what is done in secret, will reward you for the things that you've done in secret. Generosity is marked by secret, secrecy of giving most of the time, if we can. And it's marked by consistency. Um, again, I've kind of already hit on that, so I'm not going to hit on it again. But it's better to give a little a lot of times. It's better to give a little a lot of times and over time than it is to give a lot one time and never after that. And most importantly, and this is all kind of sums up every single point that I've made at the end here, your giving is to the glory of the Lord. Even though it edifies the church, your giving is not to the edification of the church. Even though it helps someone whose house just burned down or who needs help paying a bill or whatever, it is, it is helping them. That's just a secondary benefit. It's to the glory of the Lord. It's to the glory of our Father in heaven. I want to give you one more thing before we leave. I want to give you an example of how not to be generous. Go back to Acts 4. Actually, go back to Acts 5. But a, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. This is right after Barnabas, our example of, of generosity, sold his land and laid it at the feet of the apostles. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You you have not lied to man but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. That story doesn't end there. Because, see, Sapphira wasn't with him in this interaction. <coughs> After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. And not knowing what happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard all of these things. Okay, so two things. If you're a child in here, you're likely not going to get struck down, okay, or whatever. This, that was the biggest fear I had for giving or not giving or whatever. Good. But like, <laughs> it's happened before. But probably not. So I lived in fear my whole life, making sure that exactly what I was going to give, I said I was going to give. And here's the, po- here's the point of that story. Here's the point of the, the lack of generosity in Ananias and Sapphira. It wasn't that they didn't give all that they had. There were no regulations of what to give. There was no standard yet. They didn't have to give all that they had. They could have sold the field and said, we're going to give you 1% of what we have. And they would have been alive throughout the writing of the New Testament. They could have sold the field and said, this is half. They were trying to look more generous than they actually were. They were trying to appear more generous than they were. So they lied not to man but to the Lord. Friends, when we give of our time, of our money, of our resources, we are giving as unto the Lord. We have nothing to prove to anyone else. A generous person is not doing it to prove a point. A generous person is not doing it to make up for something. A generous person is doing it because he has the Spirit of God in his life. He has been changed by Christ. And this is just a result of that. It's a result of trying to be more like Jesus. After all, we have the perfect model, even greater than Barnabas, even greater than generous parents or generous friends, We have the perfect model of generosity in Christ. Who, though He is God, He took on the form of man. Much greater than Barnabas leaving his Levite position, the Lord left His heavenly position. And He came to earth. He lived in every way that a man did. He never 
gave up his Godhead. He was 100% God and 100% man, but he pushed it away in order to empathize with us completely, in order to live as we live completely, in order to know everything that we might go through. <coughs> he sacrificed the resources of heaven, the riches of heaven for a time. He sacrificed through uh, living in temptation, through living in a human life, and ultimately He sacrificed by giving His own self. He was beaten to the point of being beyond recognition. He was nailed to a cross. And He died. This all literally happened. He was literally buried. And after three days, He rose from the dead. The perfect example of a generous life. The perfect example of a generous life culminates in this. That for all of those who belong to Him have been given the riches of God. Both now and forever. That is salvation in Christ. That is community of the saints. The communion of the saints. That is the unity of believers. And ultimately, a home in heaven. How could we not be generous? How could we not be people who are marked by generosity? If Christ is our Savior. So friends, I want to challenge you. In our first discipline of grace. I want to challenge you to see generosity as a calling. To seek it out. To set aside time and resources to be generous. To give secretly and consistently and to the glory of God. Pray with me. You are so good, Lord. You have given us more than we could ever give back. So as an offering, we give our lives in hope that you receive it. In hope that you take it and use it. To further your kingdom in this world until you return. Where we will live and reign with you forever. Would you change our lives? Would you help us to be generous? Would you help us to see it as a calling of our lives? Would you help our longing to not just be for ourselves, but our longing to be for others? And if we stack up riches, and if we stack up wealth, and if we stack up time... Let it be to give away and not to keep for ourselves. Lord, help us to be generous people. At the end of our lives, Lord, help us to have given away more of ourselves than we've kept. And we know for sure that we will fulfill your will and your commands by loving you more every day and loving others as we love ourselves. <coughs> Lord, we bless you and we praise you. The perfect example of generosity. Help us to be generous as you have been. It's in the name of Jesus we pray that you ask these things. Amen.